Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Go to Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Verse 2 says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In, in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Notice, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. And so here you have this passage where the Lord is addressing, the the Lord in the sense of God the Father is addressing the Lord in the sense of God the Son. Um telling him, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And he says to him, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that brings us then to our what's really our text in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, you know, the book of Hebrews is largely a, a commentary on... The, the fulfillment of the types of the Old Testament. So, you know, if you're ever reading in the Old Testament and there's something you, you wonder, you know, you, you know that all the book points to Christ, right? And if you're ever in the Old Testament and there's something you can't understand, one of the first places to look for light on it is see if there's something in the book of Hebrews about it. Because Hebrews takes so many of those types of the Old Testament and, uh, and shows you how they're fulfilled in Christ. And um, spends quite a bit of time here talking about Melchizedek. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. That, that name, that place name that's using there of Salem or Shalem, uh, be very close. You may be familiar with the word Shalom, right? That's a, a traditional greeting uh, among Jewish people. That's Hebrew for peace. Same, same kind of thing. So here it, it says in calling him king of Salem, that is king of peace. And uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, attaches significance there, not so much to where the location of this Salem might have been. By the way, you also see that name in the name of the city of Jerusalem, right? Um, so some people think when it says he was the king of Salem, that may be a reference to the city of 
Jerusalem itself. Uh, now understand, at the time that Abram was in that area, that city of Jerusalem was just a just a heathen city. It was uh, the city of the Jebusites, one of those peoples that they were supposed to to um, cast out of the land. Um, if you know, if Melchizedek was king of that physical city, you know, makes you wonder some things about why that city would would be in the heathenism that it was in at the time. But uh, but the writer of, of Hebrews places the significance not so much in, in where the location of Salem is, but in the meaning of Salem, that he is the king of peace. And so he's the name of Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. You see how, the, how Hebrews interprets that for you. He, he says by interpretation, it's the king of righteousness. And after that also, king of Salem, which is king of peace. And it says of Melchizedek in verse 3 that he is without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now, all of that is a description of Melchizedek. Okay. Now we'll we'll come back to some things there, but uh, he goes on to to describe some of the significance of the things that happened between Abram and Melchizedek. Verse four says, "Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Even Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek." And verse 5, Verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And and so, you know, he makes reference there to the Levitical priesthood. They were the ones who collected the tithe in Israel. That was part of the provision that God made for them is that, that uh, much of the, the tithes would go to them for their support. Okay. And, but, but here he says, um, Melchizedek, his descent is not counted from them. He's not a part of that priesthood, and yet he receives tithes from Abraham. And, and not only that, now the writer here makes a, an argument that may sound somewhat foreign to us. It, it probably would be more accessible to uh, someone at the time when he was writing it. But he makes the argument that Levi actually, in that act of Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek, that Levi, who was, you know, long from, you know, far from, from even being born, actually paid tithes to Melchizedek. 
Okay, because he's saying Levi was in the loins of Abraham. And there's, we don't need to go into it in, in great detail, but the principle would be the same kind of principle behind uh, why, for instance, all mankind is affected by Adam's sin. Right? Because when Adam sinned, we were all in Adam. We weren't born yet. We weren't, we weren't here, but we were in Adam. So that the guilt of Adam's sin affects the entire race that comes from Adam. That's the same kind of argument that's being made here. That, that what Abraham did, all of his descendants really were participating in that because they were in the loins of Abraham. All right, so, so what he's arguing here is that Melchizedek is somebody who's greater than Levi. He has a greater priesthood than Levi. Where, where the Levites received the tithes, here the Levites were paying the tithes in, in Abraham. And even Abraham, as great as he is, he paid tithes to Melchizedek. And it says that, that Melchizedek in blessing Abraham, you see in verse 7 it says, without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So the fact that Melchizedek is blessing Abraham is showing Melchizedek is somebody that's higher than Abraham. Uh, verse 11 goes on then. It says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Now, remember that, that the author here is writing to a Hebrew audience. And these are questions as he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being a high priest, uh, these are questions that a Hebrew would have. How can he be the high priest? He doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. He comes from the tribe of Judah. Kings could come from Judah. In fact, kings had to come from Judah. Um, or at least they were supposed to come from Judah. Um, priests came from the tribe of Levi. And the argument is that his priesthood is a different priesthood. It's a higher priesthood. It's a different priesthood. He doesn't have to come from the tribe of Levi because he's not a priest after the order of Levi. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's a, he's a priest as a part of a priesthood that goes back long before Levi and before Abraham. And that Levi in Abraham, you know, acknowledged its its superiority. Uh, verse, verse 15 says, And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Say, so how, how were the Levitical priests made? told us before that they were chosen of God, he, he set up that system. It was a hereditary system that somebody became a high priest, right? Basically, you just, you just uh, 
were born in the right order and and lived long enough to survive the last guy. And you became the high priest. That's not how Christ became the high priest. He doesn't become a high priest by by death. He becomes high priest after the power of an endless life. Now, that tells you again that this priesthood has to do with something that takes place in connection with Christ's resurrection and ascension and glorification, not in his earthly ministry. Okay, because it says after the power of an endless life. And um, verse 17, for he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You probably didn't think about those words forever in that verse before when he told him he was a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Your mind goes to Melchizedek, right? And you think about that. But how do you be a priest forever? They never had a high priest that was forever because all the high priests died because all the high priests were sinful men who suffered the consequences of that and they died and that's when the next guy became the high priest. But Jesus Christ can be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek because that priesthood doesn't end. That priesthood, uh, there is no succession in that priesthood because you only need one priest. Um, And so verse 18 says, For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Now, what's a, what's a stronger priesthood? One that lasts forever or one that lasts until you die? One that lasts forever, right? One was weak and unprofitable and that one's done away. It's disannulled. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God, and inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And so, Jesus Christ, being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, um, is, is a part of a higher priesthood, a better priesthood. So, who was Melchizedek? Well, let's think about what it says of him. Um, it says that he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. It says he was without father and without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. In fact, that, that priesthood that pertained to him, it says, is after the power of an endless life. So this wasn't, this wasn't just some, some heathen king who had found out about the Lord somehow and decided to be a priest of his. This isn't um, you know, some, some priesthood that God established previously and didn't tell anybody about or whatever. Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And that shouldn't be that surprising to you. Again, there are various places in the Old Testament where the Lord appears in, you know, in the form of a man. Uh, there's, you know, there's other places you can think about when the three men come to Abram and uh, they... They tell them about this just before the destruction of Sodom. 
Those three men come to Abram, and two of the men leave and go to Sodom, and they're angels, because they're, they're the two angels that show up in Sodom later. One of them stays behind, and Abram calls him Lord, and he tells him he's going to have a son, and um, he, that's also, remember, Abram kind of, kind of tries to bargain for, for Lot's life, because Lot's down there in Sodom, and the Lord tells him he's going to destroy it, right? But he calls that man the Lord. There's a, there's a man there talking with him that he calls the Lord, and that's the second member of the Godhead. Now, he's in human form there, but he's not incarnate. He's not born into human flesh until you get into the, the uh, books of the New Testament, and he's born of Mary. But there are various places like that in the Old Testament where the Lord appears in, in the form of a man, and Melchizedek is one of those. Uh, otherwise, the whole, the whole thing doesn't make any sense, because if Melchizedek was just some, some mysterious human priest of the Lord somewhere, then when you say that Christ is a, is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the, the whole point of that here in this passage is that it's an everlasting priesthood, that there is no succession, there is no, there is no death in that priesthood, and that it's higher than the kind of priesthood that, that the Levites had. And so the Lord Jesus Christ uh, here is referred to as being a, being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and you notice um, chapter 7, verse 3, the very end of that verse, that's, you know, he hasn't started talking about Christ yet as Christ. He's still talking about Melchizedek. And you see what he says about Melchizedek at the end of verse 3. He abideth a priest continually. Melchizedek never stopped being a priest. Melchizedek, at the time the author of Hebrews is writing this, he says he still abides continually as a priest. Um, he's, he's talking about the Lord himself. And, and you see that as well. Think about all the other comparisons here in the book of Hebrews when it, when it compares uh, Christ to, to uh, other men or, other, or even like the angels. The idea is Christ is always higher, right? So, so he's presenting here that Christ is higher than Moses. Christ is higher than Abraham. But when it gets here to, to Melchizedek, he says Melchizedek is higher than Abraham. Now, is his goal to glorify Melchizedek? No, his goal is to glorify Christ. Right? See, that's the comparison through, through the whole thing. And so, when you wonder about this, this character, who he is, that is the same Lord Jesus Christ that we worship as Lord appearing back there to Abraham. Reminding him of, of the source of his, his victory in battle, uh, the source of, you know, the good, the good things in his life there. And, uh, and Abraham, he, he learned the lesson, right? He refuses to take that wealth of the king of Sodom. Um, go to, uh, well, we're still here in, in chapter 7. Uh, you can see in, in verse 23, for instance, uh, talking about the, the 
descendants of Aaron, says they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Very different priesthood from the Levitical priesthood or the the, uh, priesthood of, of Aaron. They had to have many priests. Because they they uh, says they were they were not suffered to continue by reason of death, but this man he has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse twenty six says, "For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests." to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. You know, every priest in the Old Testament, you know, before that that priest could enter in, to the the Holy of Holies, he had to offer sacrifice for his sins. And he better hope he not sin between the time he offers that sacrifice and goes into the Holy of Holies. Um, he had to offer for his own sins. He had, to, he had to make sure that his own sins were taken care of before he could offer for anybody else or do anything on anybody else's behalf. The Lord Jesus Christ never never had that problem. He never had to offer for his own sins. He, that's why he's the, the unique individual that's qualified to perform the work that he performed. That's why God himself had to take on human flesh in order to perform that work is so that he could offer himself without having to offer for himself first. And, uh, he can, he can be a priest. Again, it, it emphasizes how um, he's he's undefiled. He's separate from sinners. You know, he took on human flesh, but he didn't take on sinful flesh. Lord Jesus Christ took on human flesh, took on human nature, but not sin nature. And he could be undefiled, separate from sinners. But you see, you see uh, what he's made today. It says he's made higher than the heavens. And so he doesn't need to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. He's in one person, both the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice. And so he could do once in one act, he could perform a work that couldn't be done with the thousands and millions of sacrifices that were offered down through those years of of Israel's history. And they had to do it over and over and over and over again. And he could do that all at once. They had to do it over and over again because they'd offer this sacrifice and then they were okay till the next time. But he, he can do it in such a way that it's once for all. 
And so you have priests that are made after a, a, a carnal commandment. You have priests that have infirmity. But then you have Christ. And it mentions here the, the word of the oath. They were, that's the other comparison it makes here, that those priests, you know, when, when somebody, you know, the old high priest dies and his successor is going to be anointed in his place, God didn't pronounce him a priest. He just set up a system that would, would carry on. But with Christ, the Lord himself makes the oath that he has declared him a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, and so chapter 8 then says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. He's saying, I'm going I'm to wrap it all up. Here's, you know, here's the conclusion of, of these things. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises." And, and you see, that's, the, that's the, the theme over and over again here in Hebrews is the better covenant, the better promises, the better priesthood, um, this, this new covenant that God was going to establish in Israel, something better than the old. And so, why keep going back to the old? Why keep trying to operate under the, under the old when there's something new and there's something better that God has established. And, um, and you can see how Christ is uniquely qualified to serve as the high priest under that new covenant. And, and not only that, the other priests become superfluous. Now that's not to say that there aren't ever going to be other priests. You can, you can read it. Maybe, maybe it's kind of hard to reconcile that when you read those later chapters of the book of Ezekiel, for instance, and you see it's describing, uh, that coming kingdom and there's priests and there's sacrifices again, right? But, um, uh, those things don't, even, even there, they don't hold the significance that they did previously under the law. Uh, there's something different that's been put in place and something better that's been in place. Now, we under the dispensation of grace have something even different from, from either of those. Okay, again, remember when you're here in the book of Hebrews, we're not really talking about the, the body of Christ, although certainly many of these things we can, those things that qualify Christ to be a high priest qualify him to, to, to hold a position with regard to the body of Christ as well. You know, you understand this isn't talking directly about us, but, but I hope you understand when you read these things, 
you can understand some things about your Lord uh, that is the same Lord that is the head of the body of Christ that is the high priest in that new covenant. And that's a good place for us to close. Heavenly Father, we thank You for giving Your Son. We thank You for the, the preeminence that He holds in all of the universe. We pray that um, we, would, we would choose to give Your Son His rightful place in our lives. That uh, we would choose to, to submit to that, um, that superior position that He holds. We pray that uh, just as you admonish the, the nation of Israel not to go back into those old things of the law, uh, we pray that likewise we would operate under your grace and not go back to the rudiments of the world. And uh, we thank you for the, the, the good things, the better things that you've given to us, uh, that you make known to us through your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.